Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of Messiah, page 216. Did we leave off there? Okay. We talked a little bit about the Antichrist, the coming of him and his character and his origins and now we're going to get into the seals and kind of understand a lot of what's going on here on page 216 of footsteps of messiah number two the second seal in revelation this is the beginning part of the tribulation he says this and when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature saying come and another horse came forth a red horse and to him that sat thereon it was given to take peace from the earth, that they should slay one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So if you if you turn back in your Bibles, right before the the tribulation starts, if you go to First Thessalonians, and it is chapter five. It'll say this, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, and here's the key phrase, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Now, what Paul was trying to tell the Thessalonians is that right before the tribulation starts, there will be worldwide peace. Humanity will finally think, okay, we made it. We, we finally reached our utopia. And we t- look, we've talked about and looked at several things that must happen prior to the tribulation. What I'm finding out, I, I got a slew of articles today I read about um, the EU and a lot of people in the world wanting a cashless system and getting off the dollar and destroying the dollar and getting off that thing and it just it's like every week there's more and more articles talking about this well they think that's going to solve their problems and then before the tribulation the one world government unites uh, it'll break up within 10 leagues but at that point America will lose its sovereignty so this idea about our national borders, like I showed you that American flag that had all kinds of international flags mixed into it, that is the mindset of most kids today. They're not patriotic towards America like you were taught. They're, they're being taught to not be patriotic towards anything except the global government. So by that time, Islam will be destroyed by Gog and Magog, and then also the uh, Psalm 83 war will happen prior to that. So that takes out the Muslims. The rapture happens at some point in time in that. And so they've got rid of the Muslims. They got rid of uh, from uh, us Christians who they cannot stand. Uh, so we're gone. Um, the, the, the Antichrist has made a peace deal with Israel. The one world currency is in effect. The one world religion of tolerance is in effect. And it will give people a false sense of peace. And and humanity will think they have reached that utopia. And so then what happens is in the seal is the Antichrist comes to bring peace, does a deal with Israel, and everyone celebrates. And then... God opens the second seal and war starts happening. There are three world wars in the tribulation. This is the first one. 
And the, the second one will be um, Daniel is found in Daniel chapter 11. That will happen at the midpoint in the tribulation. And then the last part of the tribulation will be the Battle of Armageddon, which is the third world war. So the world wars have not stopped. They will continue. And so we're, we're going to see the whole world break out into this. Red, obviously, uh, the red horse symbolizes... War. Anytime you see the, the 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 idea of red and a horse, you're looking at war, and so peace is removed uh, through all this. So let's turn then to the third seal. The third seal is Revelation six five through six, and it says, "And when he opened the third seal, I heard a, the third living creature saying, 'Come,' and I saw, behold, a black horse, and he sat on thereon, had a balance in his hand." And I heard, as it were, a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A measure of wheat for a shilling, or basically should be translated a denarius, and three measures of barley for a shilling, or a denarius, and the oil and the wine hurt you not. Now explain that. This could be a result of the second seal of war happening, and so now you have a worldwide famine occurring. Um, That's very possible and, and very likely. Or it could be because of the economic consequences of the system they are choosing to run the world one world government with. So you can have both scenarios. Maybe it's a combination of both. But you obviously see now, and we've been talking about this, of the destruction of the world economies. And a lot of the world economies are ba- uh, based now on Marxism, communistic philosophy, and Keynesian economics, if you want to call that. I mean, Obama said he's a Keynesian economic uh, guy. That's kind of the same idea where you buy your way out of debt, which breaks all logic. Uh, don't get that. I don't understand that. But I guess in that world, bizarro world, where everything's upside down, buying your way out of debt actually makes sense to them. But in the real world, it doesn't because it's collapsing the economy. Uh, just listening to John Howler uh, earlier this week, he made an interesting thing about state and federal employees and what it's doing to the economy. And it almost seems intentional. Now, if you're a state and federal employee, I'm not trying to knock you, but I'm just saying this is what even the L.A. Times, as liberal as the L.A. Times is, is starting to say, and other liberal organizations, uh, newspapers, are reporting these facts, that the system of federal and state employees cannot be sustained. What do you mean? Well, they work for 30 years. They typically retire in their 50s, 52, 54, 55. And then right before they retire, they do a lot of overtime. Because you get 90% of your highest three years as a state or federal employee. So when they're getting ready to retire, they bump up on their overtime so they get real high pay so they can retire with more. L.A. Times, you know, has stated that if you add it all, it's like, you know, if they retire at 50, 52, 54, and live to be 85, you're looking at giving somebody almost $2 million before they die, all from taxpayers. Now, what they're stating is this. It's unsustainable. And it's not the employee's fault because the unions that they belong to have brokered the deals with politicians that have allowed this. Well, guess what? It ain't going to last. It's not lasting. They're already staying with Social Security. 
It's underfunded. It's in the red. So if you think maybe Social Security will dry up, I'm not expecting Social Security to be around if we, if we go that long. I think I hope the rapture happens because they're, it's not going to be there. But what would happen, let's just say, if every federal and state employee, they were told, you've lost your pensions? What would happen? You'd have riots. You would have riots. You would have what happened at Greece? Because Greece was doing the same thing. Everybody was retiring at 50, and they all worked for the government, and there's no private industry. Well, who's paying for that? And and to think that you can just retire at 50 and live to be 85. Now, somebody, some of them are living to 95 live the most of your life not working, it's, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so even the LA Times, as liberal as they are, they are, at least got that. Like, this is going to collapse the system. Now, here's my question. Do you think it's intentional? Do you think these politicians don't even care? They're kicking the can down the road, and if it hits the grand, your grandkids, they don't give a rip. They just don't give a rip because they're going to have their stuff. They're taken care of. When it affects your grandkids, who cares? They're intentionally collapsing the system because economically that can't sustain itself. You don't have enough taxpayers to fund that. And these Cadillac things that the union heads have organized, uh, sorry, brokered in these deals with state and federal employees it is beyond even what the private sector gets. What happened? You tell me. How did the public sector start overriding the private sector? How did it happen? How did that happen in Greece? Why is it happening in California? Why is the California politicians destroying the oil, destroying the agriculture? Why are they doing this? Any ideas? So those numbers that you're hearing, again, it's not to knock anyone in the public sector. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But you must understand as a Christian, simple economics. No society or even the global society can sustain that type of economics where you don't work and still get paid. Now, it's one thing if you have a private pension. This is a private business. We're not talking about that. We're talking about public sector because this is all of Europe, by the way. So this local thing that Larry's talking about, this is all of Europe. This is what's collapsing their economies. Because most of their workers are public workers. And they're making more than doctors. In England, you are better off going to work for the government than you are becoming a doctor. Because you will make more than a doctor in England. So you know what's happening in England? Where do you think where they're getting all their doctors? India. Because no one locally wants to become a doctor. Not only because of the socialized medicine, but that, uh, but you can make more in the, as a public sector. I talked to a local doctor who will remain nameless, but here locally. He said, with all the medical school he had to pay for, and still is paying back today, and he's a very well eye doctor here. All that he has to pay, he said the public workers make more than he does as a doctor. He goes, I don't know why I went to Harvard. I don't know why I went to med school. I don't know why I'm paying 
three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars back in my med school when a guy who's driving a tractor makes more than me. Now it's not to knock the guy on the tractor, but you do you see what's happening to the economy? Hence, a quart of wheat for a day's wage, three quarts barley for a day's wage, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The Bible is predicting that because of the way we're running our economies, not just locally or nationally, but globally, this is happening all over the place, it cannot be sustained. You run out of money that way. It's, there's no money tree. What's that, that passage in the Bible in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10? If you don't work, you do not, you do not eat. But yet half of our population does not work because they're on government subsidies. Now, it's one thing, again, if you use Paul, it's not talking about people who can't work. They simply can't work. They have disabilities or whatnot. He's not talking about it. He says, if you have the ability to work and you don't, you don't eat them. So it, think about that principle if you put that in the government. Oh, it would change the economy overnight if you stop giving money to people who are not working. Okay, then also the value of their job. You have to equate what's happening. Because, again, I'm not trying to get into economics or anything like that. I'm trying to show you where the Bible's telling you this is where it's going because of the funkiness of how people run their economy. The value of work. You tell me, just straight-up common sense, what is more valuable, someone who can work on your brain to remove a tumor or someone who's digging a ditch? What is more valuable economically to you? Just common sense. Just tell me. Don't be afraid to say it. Okay, I would rather... I want someone to work who has the ability to work on brains. Because I can dig a ditch too. She can dig a ditch. They can dig a ditch. They can dig a ditch. So you have to understand the value of what God says. Some he gives five talents. To some he gives two. And to some he gives one. Nothing wrong with digging ditches. If that's all the person can do. And they do, do it with all their might. That's all they can do. Nothing demeaning about that. But what God is trying to point out is I didn't gift everyone the same way. There are some rare individuals that I have gifted who can help you. There are neurosurgeons. There are those who will work on your kids if they're sick. And they have, uh, they can work on cancers and tumors and they know it. The guy digging the ditch can't help you if you're in that situation. Therefore, in common sense understanding of economics, we as a society and a culture value someone who can do that. Because they can save our lives. So we, I have no problem paying a guy who can help me with cancer. He deserves it. It's valuable to me. Because the other hundred that can dig ditches, they can't save my life. Now that's not to demean anything, but you have to just understand biblical economics. So therefore, the worker deserves their wages, as Paul says. So what value you bring to society and what you can do is should be equated to what you're paid. But what happens when the Marxists and communists get a hold of that? They say, no, no, no. Everybody's got to get paid the same. That's not fair. We got to have, what's that? Except the ones at the top. And I'm going to come to that. You watch. And that's where the do not harm the oil and the wine come from. 
So the Marxist communist says, no, no, that's not fair that a guy was given a gift of being a neurosurgeon. This guy digging a ditch is only getting paid minimum wage. We need to level this off. That's not fair. They, in essence, want to play God. And God didn't do that, did he? God says, to some I give five, to some I give two, and some I give one. That's his planning. He has that determination, however he wants to determine that. He gives the person the certain IQ and brain capacity, whatever, physical abilities, and that's supposed to stay there. Because the, the ones that are, have a rare skill, they're supposed to help the rest of everyone else. So the Marxists and, con and, and, and communists even it out. That's what's happened to the economies. That you have people digging ditches being paid just as much as a neurosurgeon. So what does that do? It breaks the bank. And that's what's happening. The bank is being broke. California, I, I don't know how long we can sustain this. I have no idea how long we can And so what's going to happen is, I think, obviously it's intentional because it's going to move us off the dollar and move us into a cashless side. We're going to have to do something. You can't sustain this. So back to the Bible in this second seal, a quart of wheat for a day's wage. Okay, what does that mean? Wheat and barley were the food sources for the common people. Okay? Barley was the most, I guess, the cheapest grain you can get. If you were really poor, you got barley. And so you obviously get more barley for a day's wage than you can get wheat. Wheat was, wheat was a more finer grain. Cost more. But he's basically saying this. The way the economy is going to get into the tribulation and leading up to that, it's going to take you an entire day's wage for the masses of humanity to buy one meal. One meal. You think about food prices now. They keep going up, and I can't. I look. I look at my budget. My wife and I look at it. I'm like, I don't understand where our money is going. And then you start looking at it. It's food. We're spending all our money on food. And boy, when you have boys, they eat you out of house and home. That's the other thing. I feel like taping their stomachs or something, man. Because my goodness, I go. I'm 210 pounds. You're not, and you're eating more than I am. How are you doing this? I don't know where they're putting it. So they're eating me out of house and home. So I'm, I'm, they're breaking, breaking the budget on food. But imagine that your food goes increasingly higher every year. And if there's a big blow up in the Middle East and gas gets affected, they get transportation costs. And all of a sudden your prices start rat ratcheting up. That's what we should start expecting to see is food prices continuing to rise. And rise and rise and rise till you get to the point where it takes you one day's wage to get to buy one meal. Forget about it. I mean, if you want to eat out, look how expensive it is to eat out. Two fifty for a Coke? Really? Two fifty. I'm at a restaurant. You're charging me two fifty and no refills? I ain't coming back. I end up banning a lot of restaurants because of that. You don't give me refills, I ain't coming back to your place. You can forget that for two fifty. So anyway, but then look at, the, you, you mentioned something, Chet, about this, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Now that's an interesting phrase. What is, uh, the wine and oil were essential to the Israelite economy, but they typically were very expensive to get. They were the luxury items. So a lot of people don't understand how wine was used. Wine was obviously mixed with with water to sanitize the water in those days. But if you were going to drink full-on wine, you drank it at celebrations. It was like eating birthday cake and ice cream. 
It was a luxury item that they participated in. So obviously when Jesus turned water into wine, where was he at? A wedding. Because that's how they used wine many times in celebrations. It was a luxury item, just like you would go down to Dwarves and buy a gallon of ice cream for a birthday or something like that. But it was a luxury item. And, and you could get low-grade oil for your lamps, but the higher, higher oil, the real expensive kind that you used in food to dip your, your bread in, that cost a lot. You may not have had the money to do that. Okay, so what the, you use the Hebrew culture is those are luxury items. What then is predicted then is that the luxury items like steak and lobster and uh, crab legs from Alaska or what whatever, those luxury food items will be available, but only for the top echelon, the Obamas of the world, the Bonky Moons and all those kind of guys and uh, those guys at the top running the show. Because what happens in communism? What happens in Marxism? Everyone gets poor, and then you have the elite at the top, and it's just a cluster of a few. Well, it's saying that they will still have access to those luxury items while the rest of humanity suffers under the economy. So, that's, there's a lot there, and you can see how we're getting to that, uh, even now, and, and then that direction's not gonna change. It's heading there. Let's go to the next seal that gets broke. The fourth seal. Yes, go ahead. Chapter five. Verse 3, yeah, that's the, the peace and safety before the tribulation comes. Okay, so let's look at the fourth seal in Revelation 6, 7 through 8. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the four living creatures saying, Come, and I saw, and behold, a pale horse, and he that sat upon him, his name was Death, and Hades, or Sheol, followed with him. And there was given unto them authority over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, that's the wars that you see prior to this, and with famine, that's what you just read, with the food issues, and with death. Now, the, the issue, death there is, it really should be translated pestilence, but it's thanatos in Greek, which means it's a, a disease that causes death, like a pandemic type of thing. Um, so with death and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, that's an interesting thing. There's one more thing that's going to cause death during this period of time. So, obviously, war causes death. Famine, you see people starve to death, and that's going to happen. But now, th these last two phrases of pestilence and wild beasts, we want to capitalize. What's, what's really happening here? Well, the, the pestilence possibly could come from the massive deaths that are occurring. Okay? And if you attach that to the wild beasts of the earth, you're thinking, man, if this was in Bakersfield, what wild beasts would come and, and do things to human beings in this kind of environment? It's probably not the wild beast you're thinking of, like a lion or a bear. In Israel's day, they had to worry about those items. But those, those animals are gone in most civilized populations. What animals would cause humans problems of causing pandemics. Mosquitoes, rats. You see, it's not, most people, when they interpret Revelation, they say they're thinking bears and lions. No, 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 no. Think smaller. 
rats. Major, they were the ones behind the back, the black plague. Right? It was spread by rats. And most of the disease carrying things like mice and rats, and now you're seeing the Zika virus down there in, um, uh, Central America. Mosquitoes. The wild beast doesn't necessarily have to be big animals. It could be very small animals like rodents that carry diseases. And particularly, it could be at the micro level creatures. You ever think about that? I mean, think about the, 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 Germs and bacteria, um, what's that one disease that came and it was in Africa? Ebola. Was it Ebola? Was it the Ebola virus? Things like that. You're now talking about parasitic wild beasts. So if you have a lot of deaths, a fourth of the earth is dead now of the popul human population. So I, I think we're at seven, seven billion now or something, close to seven billion. So that's like 1.8, 1.9, almost 2 billion people on the planet are now dead. Dead within the first few months of the Great Tribulation. A fourth of humanity is now dead. And they're strewn all over, so you have the decaying bodies. They're not being buried. So what ends up happening? you got the rats coming on them, the parasites, the mosquitoes, and spreading the diseases that are actually coming from the bodies. And so now it's, yeah, I know, that's the problem. If you'll stay behind, um, you can, you can gladly bury whoever. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned that, Dick, because like in the Gog and Magog battle, Israel spends its time burying bodies. Not only just to be kosher, but you understand why God told Israel you bury a dead body. You don't leave it up. You don't try to burn it. Bury the thing. And get it out of the way because it prevents carry, uh, the carry-on uh, coming and taking the carcass, spreading that. Uh, it prevents rats and diseases because it's down there and you can't get to it. So um, this obviously won't happen. I remember Chris and Pam Ammons telling me a story about how they were in India. And this is how gross it is in India. They go to the Ganges to die, basically, because it has magical powers or something like that. And it's just Hinduism and weird stuff. So they go there and they pay a guy or whatever that if they die, you know, burn me and send me on a, a funeral pyre down the Ganges burning. Well, how do you know if they're going to burn you when you die? Well, they, apparently they don't burn you all the way. What they do is they, they, they get these dead bodies and they put them on these, these floats that go in the Ganges and they set it on a fire, but it doesn't burn the whole body. So you got half the body burns. And so that, I mean, thousands and thousands of dead bodies floating on these pyres in the Ganges, half burnt, half rotting in the sun. And he says it's the most despicable smell, it's the most despicable sight they had ever seen. And they said the disease was everywhere because there's just rotting corpses just floating down this river from all these people in, in Hinduism. But, uh, incidentally, Christian Pam Ammons had to get out of there. They couldn't take it anymore. It got so demonic and so disgusting, they just simply couldn't take it. They tried it, and they said, we, we couldn't deal with that. Incidentally, this is how disgusting it is in India. When you worship these, these, uh, these Hindu gods, I mean, it's just rank pagan and just demonic. They have a day where they worship the god of feces. 
Yeah. This is how bad it is. Like Chris and Chris and Pam were telling me about this, and they go, um, this, this is so disgusting. You cannot believe human beings would do such a thing. So they pile up their feces in their house and make a pyramid in their house for a month. Can you imagine? So Chris and Pam, they go, it is, it is so bad and nauseating to walk through these villages because they're just piling up their feces to worship this god. And they said during that period of time, the, spell is, the smell is atrocious, but they saw so much demonic activity, they couldn't hardly take it. And so that's what you get. So all, it's interesting that all these people in America want these Hindu practices and yoga and, and transcendental meditation, but I know the end result. That's where you go. That's what you end up having your own feces in your house, worshiping the feces god. That's how disgusting it is in India. Um, and so, you know, these, these movie stars, I, I, I have to laugh in myself when these movie stars, I forget the last one that went over there, and they said, oh, it was so enlightening. And I want to say, why don't you just go to the Ganges and go where Chris and Pam and see how enlightening that is. But anywho, there's the fourth seal, so you have a fourth of the Earth's population is now dead. Then we move to the fifth seal, the martyrs. And when I opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, there's an altar in heaven, by the way. There's a, they, when it says altar, remember, Moses saw the real tabernacle. What Moses made in the desert, he saw a copy of that. What he, sorry, he made a copy of that of what he saw in heaven. So there's an altar in heaven, okay? Of the soul, and, and basically underneath the altar, the souls of them had been slain for the word of God. This is during the tribulation, okay? And for the testimony in which they held. And so basically there's massive, massive martyrdom at the first part of the tribulation. A lot of, lot of people, Christians, Jew and Gentile, are being killed at this time. And it says, they cried out with a great voice saying, how long? Notice the term, the timing term. There is a, a understanding of time in heaven, by the way. If you have been taught that there's no time in heaven, that's incorrect. There is time in heaven. Uh, you'll see that later on, and when we study the book of Revelation, there was silence in heaven for a half hour. How do they know it's a half hour? There, because time is, time was made for us. God is the only being that's timeless. But the place he created, because it's a creation of his, has the time element in it. So heaven is very dynamic. It's not static, and it has elements of time. Now, they seem to realize how long they have a time element here, and they're indicating there's time in heaven. Um, because heaven is for us and the angels. We can only relate in a time-space continuum. God doesn't need that. But notice it says, O Master, the holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So it indicates they know what's happening. They know that the ones who killed them are still alive on the earth. Do you notice that? There's a lot here, my friends. A lot here. If people ask you, what do they know in heaven? They have some idea. Based on this passage, they have some idea that there's stuff going on in the earth, that these people are, that killed them are still alive, and they're asking God, when are you going to avenge our blood? 
That ama- that's amazing. Now you don't know, they don't know everything, but they knew, they, they know this. So there is an indication that they know what's happening on earth a little bit, okay? And there was given to them to each one a white robe, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little time. There's a time element there. Until what? Their fellow servants, this is all the tribulation saints are going to be martyred also, and their brethren, who should be killed even as they were, should have fulfilled their course. So the idea is that God is saying, just wait until the tribulation is over, and then I'm going to send my son basically and avenge the blood. So this passage I want to explore a little bit because this is fascinating. Here's the question I have for you. Why aren't the martyrs saying, please God, forgive those who have killed me? Do you notice that something has changed? See, on on earth you're not supposed to retaliate. You're not supposed to... You know, and people insult you, turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean you can't defend yourself, but but notice what their prayer is. Do you find that anywhere in the Gospels? Anywhere in the, the letters of Paul or John? What is going on here? That they would not request forgiveness, but they're requesting, I want their blood. That's right. So what, so what are they basically stating then? Yeah, but do they, why 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 in heaven do they not want them to be forgiven? That's very interesting, isn't it? Something has happened to them. What could have possibly happened between them being on earth and then them being in heaven? What happened to them? What's changed about them? It goes back to like what even Larry's saying, but it, the imprecatory prayers in the Psalms where God is, or say, David is asking God to wipe out his enemies. David will never take vengeance into his own hands. He will always pray to God to smash his enemies, destroy them, and things like that. He will never take it into his own hands. But they have lost something. Yeah, they have no sin nature anymore. Dick. No, it's good. You guys are all on the right beat, and all of those are good, 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 good points. Because the tribulation is a different time. The age of grace is now over in the tribulation. Okay, so when you're in the tribulation, grace is now ended. As far as if you do this, I'm going to judge you immediately for this. And the immediate state is seven years. Tribulation is a different time period. There's some, you hit on the the, uh, the issue of them losing their sin nature, and that's that's a, a a good point too, because I want to put it all together. Our sin nature makes us still feel sympathetic for evil. Okay, because it, it, we see another human being, and they could be as despicable as they all, and you'll still feel almost like a, simp- a sense of sympathy. And this is where I'm going to drive the point out where I, I'll, I'll, I'll get you to understand what I'm saying. Right now, I have family members that are in the middle of the earth in hell. Okay? I know it. They're unbelievers. They're in hell right now. They'll never get out. I know who they are, and they were family members. They're in hell right now. Okay? I seem, that seems like a bold statement, but if you don't accept Christ, where do you go? Limbo? Purgatory? No, that's the only thing that exists. You go to Hades. If you reject Christ, you go to hell. So based on the word of God, they have never received Christ, they're in hell. Okay. There's a part of me that feels bad for them. 
that mourns for them, that is emotional for them. Because I think about them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even think about that. It, it brings me to my knees to think about this. But they're not emotional. They're not because they lack the sin nature that makes them sympathetic for any type of evil. And the big one, and obviously they're in the tribulation, they saw the potential, like you guys mentioned, they see what they could have done, their lives were cut short, all the things, the witnessing that they could have done, all that's part of it. And then the big one is this, they have finally seen God face to face. And what does that do to you? What will you see and experience, especially when you are around the throne and you hear the angels say the thrice saying, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they repeat this over and over and over again, because when you finally see God in his essence, Without the sin nature, as Moses wanted to see God, he said, I can't let you see my full glory. I'll let you see my backside. But when you're in heaven, you see the full glory. The first thing that comes to your mind, holy, whoa, you are right and just, O oh God, to exact vengeance for what they have done against you. Not so much against me. They have violated you. That's at the heart of all the imprecatory prayers that David prays in the Psalms and behind the martyrs wanting vindication. It's not even so much for them, how much you, are, you binge for my blood, but you will see later on in the tribulation, the cry is what they have done to God. Sin is not just on a horizontal level. When they have killed martyrs that belong to God, they have sinned against God himself. And he has the right to take that toll out on them. So that's the thing we're missing, is we have our sin nature, we feel sympathetic towards those who rejected Christ, but we have never seen God in his essence. And I think what that does to you, it changes the whole game. Of sin. I mean, imagine, just imagine this, I've thought about this, because this is a hard one to swallow right now, because we, we don't see God in his essence and we have our sin nature. Think about your closest relative that's in hell right now. Right now, you say, oh my goodness, I hope he made a decision before he, you know, you're, you're thinking all these thoughts. Maybe he did, maybe she did, or whatever. And you're just hoping, hoping, hoping. In heaven, you will not sorrow for them in hell. You just, you will have that emotion because, oh, I see God and oh yes, they deserve everything you give to them. Because I see how gracious you offered your son. I see the nail scars on his hand and what he did for them. You, how much you offered salvation to them. Oh, right and true are you, Father, for sending them to hell. Now that's hard for us to stay right now. But that's what's happening here. And for us to get a grasp of that through the book of Revelation is a getting a grasp of what heaven is like, to be with Jesus in his essence. And you will want to defend his essence and protect it and say, no, no, you need to exact vengeance. Now, interesting, go ahead, Larry. And see, we, we get mad in our humanistic level. We get mad what people do to us. 
but we should also be mad about what they're doing to God. We should be offended when someone, you know, at, at uh, Planned Parenthood chops up babies. We get mad for what's happening to the babies. Yeah, that's true. But are you mad for what they're doing to God's creation? He created those babies. So it's an attack on God. So that's where Christians, they come sometimes, we lose that concept of defending God's reputation, God's holiness. And that's what the martyrs are showing us right there. It's a beautiful picture of in, in heaven. And the idea here, their memory is not erased. Have you noticed that? Most people think, well, you will, you'll forget what happened. Oh, no, you don't. You actually get your full memory. You will remember every second, every minute, every hour, every event that ever happened to you because you don't lose your memory. You get full memory back. Oh, no? Some of us might be saying, oh, no. I guess. Every saint has a past, don't they? Um but in, in, but you'll see it in perspective. And, and a lot of people, you know, they're worried about, if am I going to remember this? Am I going to remember who my loved ones are? No, no, no. You'll have a full idea. And look at that. They remember a negative. See, a lot of people, I've seen books been written, oh, you won't remember anything bad that happened to you. Well, then I got to say, what, did they, what about Revelation? They're remembering they got martyred. They remember something bad happening to them. But what's changed? It's put in perspective of eternity now. That's right. It's not about them anymore. And basically, if you probably would go up to them and ask them, you worried about what happened? No, I'm not worried about what happened. I was glad to do this. I'm more worried about what they've done to him. You see, the perspective has changed. It's not about them anymore. It's truly how we are supposed to be. And, and even the negative things that they have remembered, it's not affecting them. You would think, oh, am I going to remember the bad stuff that happened to me? Yes, but you'll have the right perspective. And you'll be able to interpret it and process it this correctly. Right now, we don't process the hurts correctly. I spend my weeks counseling people who don't process the hurts. But in heaven, all those hurts are processed correctly. And it's amazing to see that the, even the negative, they, it doesn't even bother them. They even know they've got their heads cut off for that. I find that amazing. Amazing. It's, it's an a insightful little, uh, you know, block of information that gives a lot of information about what heaven's like. You'll see then eventually, and we'll stop now, heaven is dynamic. It actually changes location. In, in the New Jerusalem, the Jerusalem uh, during the millennial will actually hover over the earth. It will not be where it's at right now. It will actually become a satellite city over the planet. And then in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem actually sits on the new earth. So what I'm saying about heaven, it's dynamic. It actually changes, and it changes location. That's a good question. Because the tribulation saints are not resurrected until... Uh, after the tribulation, the white robes are then explained in Revelation 19, I believe. These are um, the reward, uh, the robes of reward, rather than the uh, the robes of uh, salvation. Um, and so um, it'll say in Revelation 19 something to the effect like this. You can look there in Revelation, and they were given white robes. Um, let me read it real quick. Let me read it just so I can be precise. Because they're in their souls. It says, I saw the souls under the, uh, under the 
the altar. Verse 8, And there were granted rain and fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Do you see that? So there's a robe that you'll get for salvation, the covering robe of righteousness that Christ gives you, that covers you. That's in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding robes. You have to be given the wedding robes for salvation. Okay, That comes from Christ because of salvation. But there are other robes that get put on you because of reward. And so some people will be arrayed differently. And so the martyrs are giving those uh, robes of reward, and that can actually envelop the soul because they don't have their bodies yet. So 19, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8. You will have dirty robes, but some, some uh, I guess if you want to say it, that the, the proper theological term is some robes will have more glory than others. Some will be at, from Walmart and some will be from Saks Fifth Avenue, I guess. Because that's the only way I can think of it, man. Um, you'll, still have the, you'll still have robes, but they might be from Walmart. There's robes of righteousness and reward. In that context, Revelation 19 is the second coming. It's showing that the saints are coming back and they have been rewarded. And that's because the beam of seed of Christ has happened. And so um, the, the resurrection of these saints, of the tribulation saints... Uh, and those martyrs in Revelation 6 won't happen until uh, after the second coming. Revelation 20, you can see that, that talks about that resurrection. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.